Hi, everybody. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. I'm Lacey. And we're sarcastic, so let's get sinister. try our best to get through to the spot that I finished for this episode. Otherwise, this might be a three-parter. Um, depending real on quick, my cough. Before we get into this episode, um, two things that I thought were worth noting. Um, we have reached 199 followers on Spotify. Yay! Hey, somebody who's listening, get your friend. Please just get one friend. To uh, listen just, and we can just one friend. We just need well, one. Well, no, 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 um, Lacey. If everyone that's listening right now, if you can get, you could suggest the show to each one of or like one of your friends, then we can get a hundred and ninety more followers. That's a little overwhelming to me. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're a teacher. You should be. Whatever. I don't think also, that's anything to do with anything. Patreon <laughs> slash sinister and sarcastic nine four two. Um, but also, the other thing is, um, yesterday was our anniversary, you guys. I know, it was on my yeah, um, was. calendar. Mm-hmm. We've been doing Happy this for a whole year. So is this our anniversary show? Yeah. Our we'll anniversary special. A two-parter. I was like a... It, it might be three. Yeah, it's a big fun one. We have a lot of information to get through. Bailey wrote um, a book. I did write a, or read a book. <laughs> she didn't write one yet. She wrote one. No. We're, yeah. Um, I did read a book. What's also fun is that um, we start our first episode uh, ever on our podcast was my telling. And now we get to oh. the first anniversary is me again. Look at that. We didn't even we do just that start every year with Bailey. Nice. Hopefully I'm not as sick as I am right now, but okay. It's traditional. Alrighty. Do I sound as stuffy? Just wondering. You sound like mm-hmm. Phoebe from Friends when she's sick. Ooh. Sing Smelly Cat. So, sing really good songs. Got it. Okay. Um, other fun anniversary thing. This is the 65th uh, anniversary of my case. Oh, 60, like, it, yeah? 65 years ago? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the one website that um, literally has like a shit ton of information like goes into extreme detail on everything it actually does like a countdown um because it shows you like where they were mm-hmm. at this day like 65 years ago which is pretty cool um it's cool. a little morbid though that it says like i think today it said like 10 days to live or something oh uh, that is a depressing <laughs> countdown it's a little morbid but it's okay all right um, if anyone hasn't seen the title today, um, we are going to be talking about the Dyatlov Pass mystery, oh. incident, whatever you want to call it. Um, Lou heard the title that you just announced, and he quickly looked over at me and went, ooh. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in real quick. Uh, today is seven days to live. I just found the website. Oh, you just did? They're even more Go- almost dead go through the detail of that website it's it's insane yeah i'll pin it but for like, later it's so a re- it's on really you, good but... website lou um, said he read a book about this 
What oh. book did he read? Dead Mountain. Dead Mountain? That was, um, I didn't want to pay that much for it. But I got this one, The Death of Nine, which was also really good and actually had a lot of detail in it. So, that being and said... Autopsy? Autopsy photos? Yeah. Cool. Fo- photos, like, of the autopsy diagrams, like, where the bodies were found. And it goes into, like, a lot of detail of the autopsy reports for each person. Um, so, if anyone doesn't know... The Dyatlov Pass incident, um, or mystery, happened in January 1959, exactly 65 years ago. Um, it took place in Cold War Soviet Union Russia, so it's getting that mind frame of secrets, nuclear war, things starting to escalate in the world. Um, the reason it's going to be a multiple-parter episode is we have, like, nine technically victims so we're gonna get through a lot makes sense um the original so what happened was 10 hikers that all went to the same university um went on a hike through the ural mountains in russia only one would be left behind and the rest of these hikers um would be missing and then found in some of uh unusual circumstances of how they died um also something to keep in mind all these hikers like combined had a total of like around 55 years of outdoor survival experience so it wasn't like a bunch of amateurs amateurs. yeah it wasn't like you and me drew were just out there just doing shits and giggles like they they've done this before and they've done this for many years I don't know whether or not I'm supposed to be insulted by that. I would be. I feel insulted. Hmm. Eat your popcorn and shut up. Okay. I just texted her that I could hear her crunching. <laughs> I can hear her crunching, too. Got a little ASMR going on, too. Um, so the university that they all went to, I'm just going to touch base on that. It's called... Um, Excuse me, um, Ural Poly- Polytechnic Institute University, or UPI is what I'm going to call it. Um, it turned out top flight engineers to work in the nuclear power and weapons industries, communications, and military engineering. So it's a very like specific college. All right, are we ready to get into it? Mm-hmm. Said it because I, um, I feel like a lot of listeners, including me, um, already have our ideas and our theories about what we think happened. So I always like hearing new people talk about it because I feel like you pick up new stuff. Oh, I'm going to tell you what you're wrong. Oh, ooh, I'm excited. Uh, maybe not. Obviously, it's not going to happen today, but it's going to happen okay. um, the next time we record. I can be we'll, wrong next we'll time. We'll go into theories. Um, yeah, there's, if we're going to touch on it real quick, there's easily like. 75 different theories that Holy are shit. like yeah there's a lot <laughs> um and that's like on the official record that there's 75 different ones and some of them are ridiculous and some are very consi- conspiracy theoried um but yeah we're gonna go not into all of them obviously because we'd be here for like six parts uh but we'll go into the more likely ones oh there's me there you go 
Who's, whose wedding is that? No one important. Anyway. Somebody uh, wonderful. Did you guys get the email I sent you with the PowerPoint? Oh, hold on. Just listen to Drew while I look for it. There it is. Yeah. So um, um, just real quick, I just wanted to say uh, I had to, because we're moving this weekend, I had to, um, I went on the USPS website to change my address and they charged me a dollar ten. That's stupid. Yeah, to, I thought that was to, pretty dumb. To change your address? I feel like I never had to pay to do it before. Well, to, like, have them forward all my mail. Oh. Well, the USPS, um, it, the postal service is dying, so they need to charge more. Anyway. Um, Lace, you have the PowerPoint? I do. Yes. Okay, great. Um, it pretty much just gives you guys, like, pictures of, like, who we're talking about. Um, I'm going to sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, apologize to any of our Russian listeners, um, for the names I'm about to pronounce. She's doing her best. I mean, I do my best. I, I did a lot of research on how to pronounce them today. Um, I'm not going to butcher them through the entire episode. I did come... I'm using shorthand, like, Americanized nicknames for them, so it'll be different. But, yeah. Okay. First, we have Igor Dyatlov, <clears throat> who is the um, namesake for the hike and the mystery. He was a 23-year-old radio engineering student in his fifth and final year at UPI. He was a talented engineer, inventor, and athlete. He um, joined the UPI hiking club during his first year and had been on many school-sponsored hikes during all types of weather. Um, so something to take note of is UPI gave numerical values on hikes depending on their difficulty, ranging from, like, one to three. Three being the most difficult. Uh, Igor had completed several threes and had advanced to the point of becoming a leader. At this time, he was considered the most experienced UPI student of the hiking club. Um, and he was, um, sorry, COVID brain, um, as I said, he was a bit of an inventor, and he did come up with, like, three specific inventions to help with hikes. He tweaked and modified um, radios to help make them lighter, more durable, and portable. He invented um, what is called the stove, which isn't actually, like, a, what we think of as stove, like, cooking. Um, it was a portable tent heater. It uh, was in a small metal box, kind of shaped like a muffler with a long pipe attached. Pretty much it would be in like the center of the tent with um, that longer pipe going out for ventilation of the tent. Um, Did you say how old he yeah. was? 23. Okay. Well, I was going to say some of these pictures, he looks really young, but that's because he was. Yeah. Um... The stove would be filled with wood and then lit and then burned through the evening. This would require someone to stay awake to keep an eye on it, which they did take shifts. Um, he also came up with or made a uh, double tent. He pretty much sewed two tents together and able to accommodate up to 12 hikers. So, um, 
so he's the leader of our group. He wanted to do this um very difficult hike in order to get his level three status of he accomplished a level three for whatever. Oh, sorry, I'm all over the place. COVID brain really, really sucks. Okay. Next, we're going to go to Xena or Zenida Kilmo Kilmogrov is her Russian name, but Zena is what everyone calls her. Um, she was a 22-year-old radio engineering student in her fourth year at UPI. She was described as generous and a gentle person and very popular. She was involved in many extracurriculars. Um, she loved working with kids. She worked with uh, day camps for them, did student concerts, and um, participated in sporting events. She also joined the hiking club since the beginning of school. Um, she had previously completed several complex and difficult hikes already, and she was also described as a natural leader. Um, you can kind of, she's the one always on the right in the group photos there. They also considered her the soul of the hiking club. A previous story, um, in 1958, the year before this hike, she had been bitten by a viper snake and was very close to dying, actually. Um, she was saved when her hiking group came upon a family living in the forest, and they were able to apply a local herb um, remedy to her wound. She survived, but suffered weeks of painful healing. But after the bite initially happened, she was more worried about her group and was, like, apologizing to them profusely that they had to, like, worry about carrying her out and taking on more weight than needed. It was like a fairy tale story where you get bitten by a snake and you're inches from death when you come across a family living in the woods and they use some natural medicine to save you. That's like a weird, like, I don't know, like Snow White <laughs> mixed with Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, yeah, but there's no, not really many snakes in Disney movies. Uh, Ella Enchanted? Yeah. Anyway. I was thinking more classic Disney. So, in many reports, it showed, or it said that Xena and Igor had been dating for a few months before this hike. However, the really good website that I just showed you, Lacey, it does mention on there that, um... They were always seen together, but there was, there, on her end, it didn't seem like there was any, like, romantic, like, intent or anything, um, especially in a letter dated, like, just a week before they actually went on this hike, so, but, um, Igor did have a photo of her in his notebook, and later on, like, he does have a photo of her, like, in his coat pocket, so... Who knows? Anyway, um, they had gone on many hikes together, and whether they were together or not, or, like, just flirty and stuff, their dynamic didn't change in the hike. Um, they were both capable, experienced, and matured enough to place the safety and success of the hike above any feelings. Um, and then we go to Yuri. Good next. There he is. Um, Yuri Doroshenko. 
he was 21 years old. He was a radio engineering student in his fourth year at UPI. And he and Zena had previously dated, uh, but remained on good terms and good friends um, with their breakup. And just to put everyone in the mindset of, like, how extreme hiking was back then, um, they were broken up when, like, this hike happened. Um, but they had to, like, put aside, like, any, like, feelings or any, like, weirdness in order to, like, successfully, like, take part in this hiking group, um, in this hike, it's that, that extreme, that life or death that everyone needs to be, like, on good terms and working together, um, so just everyone knows, and also he was, like, good with, uh, Igor, too, so Yuri was described as strong, reliable, and with great endurance, he had a long history of hiking experience when he joined the hiking group, also in his first year, he had also completed several hikes, including difficult Category 3s. Um, one of his fun stories uh, was he was setting up camp during a previous hike, and a bear started running towards the campsite. Yuri jumped up, grabbed a hammer, and ran yelling at the bear, which scared it away and caused it to turn and go away. Um, which isn't typically what you do to get rid of a bear or, like, what you should do when you're around any bears, but... Sounds very Russian to me. Yeah. Um, I also found that this is actually where, um, Zena first... Where Igor... Sorry. Where Yuri first caught Zena's eye. She was on that hike with him, too, and they didn't really know each other. But after she saw that bravery, <laughs> they talked all night. Ooh. And then when that. they returned home, they started dating. Of course they did. He chased off Which the bear like, with a hammer. It's, it's a shame that they broke up, and also that they perished on another hike, like, a year or so later. Because, like, imagine telling your kids that's how you caught, like, that's how you found your dad, or your yeah. husband. He chased a bear away. And I couldn't resist him. Yeah. Which also, he's got a nice jawline. Just saying. Strong. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to Alexander next. Alexander Kolivatkov. He um, was a 24-year-old physics and technology student in his fourth year at UPI. Prior to UPI, he attended a university in Moscow. Moscow. I don't know why I said it that way. Um, and had been part of their hiking club. Oh, no, I didn't look up this word. Metallology? He received a degree at this university in metal metallology. That's not nice, Drew. Um, after he received that degree, he worked in Moscow as a senior lab assistant in classified a classified institute called the Ministry of Medium Machine Building. This institute conducted research into the development of ma material for the nuclear industry. He worked for this place for about three years before he enrolled in UPI, immediately became part of the hiking club, and completed several difficult hikes. He was described as cautious, diligent, and studious, and he was well-liked and an admired member of the club. He's somewhere in that group photo. Next, we're going to go to our youngest member of the group, 
They're already so young. Ludmala, Dubin, and Ah. Next, yeah. Or Luda. Go to the next one, Drew. Sorry. Uh, I was looking in the group photo for... Gotcha. This is Luda. She was 20 years old. She was an engineering and economic student in her third year of UPI. Um, she is the one on the left, the bottom photo, and she's hugging one of the other hikers on the right over there. Um, she joined the hiking club when she started UPI and completed several level two hikes. So this is a level three. It's pretty adventurous for her. Um, she was known as the merrymaker and would find any way to make a fun time out of any situation. She was described as hardworking, reliable, independent, strong, and brave. She was also an avid photographer and took part in ice dancing club and was a gifted athlete and singer. Ice um, dancing. That's fun. <laughs> and a previous story of her while she was on a hike in 1957, she was accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter that was accompanying her hiking group. Her team carried her out on a stretcher, and in what turned out, it turned out to be quite painful. Obviously, she got shot. Yeah. Um, she kept on apologizing to her group continuously. It took her months to heal, but as soon as she was, she was back on the hiking trails. Um, Isn't she just cute? Yeah, I just gotta, it, it doesn't sound like you should go hiking in Russia. <laughs> there's, there's snakes, there's bears. There's. If you say guns, I'm gonna say it sounds guns? like hiking in America. <laughs> Snakes, bears, and guns. Oh my! Welcome. Um, but every single one of them has a story. <laughs> not every single one. Okay, so not I, Igor. Um. Probably. He just didn't yeah, share we're it. Not there yet. <laughs> In the picture um, of Luda, the picture on the left, is that Xena in that picture with her? No, I think that was when she was younger. Ah, oh, never mind. Yeah. So, yeah. I can tell you all the way, I don't, I'd have to look through the other photos um, for the middle one, but to the top right one, that is Igor in the back on the, uh, with the poles. Mm -hmm. And then she's hugging uh, Yuri Yudin, who we haven't gone over yet. Um, give me one second. I just remembered I did not learn how to pronounce this word. All right. Lacey and I will banter. Okay. Hey. So, let's just to go over. Xena mm -hmm. got bit by a snake. Yes. Yuri had to chase off a bear. And he did successfully. I feel like that's important. Right. Luda got shot. When she said shot by a hunter, I thought she was going to be like a hunter who was being careless and yeah. like shot through the woods. But it was a hunter with their group. Yeah. I mean, he was still careless. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming he was still careless. I am sure, it was on I'm, sure, I'm sure it was an accident. Anyway. Um, okay. Are we ready to go to the next one? I already forgot yes. the name of the word, but it's okay. I'll listen to it before I say it. Um, okay. So, Yuri George Krivnoshenko. This is another um, Yuri. There's multiple Yuris. However, this Yuri, he's, uh, he goes by George, which is his okay. middle name. Thank you. So, he will be George. 
Um, he's a tw- he was a 23-year-old UPI graduate. He graduated in 57 with a degree in civil engineering. He worked as an engineer at Plant 817. Before this plant, he worked in a sensitive position at a Mayak nuclear plant. I also forgot to look up that word. It's okay. Um, in September 1957, um, give me one second. Let me relook up this word. There was something, so in 17th, September 1957, there is something called the Kruskim disaster, which is a nuclear contamination accident. He helped clean this up, um, and before Chernobyl happened, this was the worst nuclear disaster that ever happened in the world. Today, this one ranks number three. Oh, so still um, not good. No. So, basically what happened was it was a failure of the cooling system caused by an explosion caused an explosion within the stainless steel containers located in a concrete canyon. Within a few hours, the radioactive cloud moved northeast, reaching 30... reaching 300 to 350 kilometers from the accident site. People were required to slaughter their livestock, bury their crops, plow farmland. More than 20 villages, comprising over 11,000 people, were evacuated and demolished. After this, uh, George was promoted to a supervisory position. He was due to start this position, actually, February 21st of uh, 1959. So when he was on this hike, with the team he was it was during a month-long break before he was due to start that new position um he and igor were actually very close friends they had done almost all their hikes together and he had completed multiple category threes prior he was described as a skilled artist and musician he played the mandolin was dependable reliable and a valuable team member he was well liked and was also known as the comic relief and could find humor in any situation and also, no offense to George, rest his soul, the, the ears. They're so cute. I like his mustache. He Looks does so look cute. good with a mustache. Um, okay, we're going to go to Rustam next. Rustam Slab- Slabodin was a 23-year-old graduate of UPI in the class of 1958 with a degree in medical engineering, mechanical engineering, God damn it, Bailey. He was working at an engineer as an engineer at plant 817 alongside George until George's promotion. He was not assigned to the nuclear cleanup, just in parentheses. Um he also he had the least amount of information like for his like bio. The only thing that I could like really get from like a few sources was he was a man of few words. Maybe that's why there's no information on him. I guess. He enjoyed playing the mandolin. He was described as athletic, strong, and resilient. He enjoyed long-distance running and was an avid, avid and experienced hiker, completing numerous number threes or Category 3s. So, 
Which also, like, I think he's the cutest, but that's me. He's like, kind of like, he has like a look in his eye in the one photo. I just want to, like, know what that look is. Anyway. Next, we're going to go to Yuri Yudin. Another Yuri. Another Yuri. Oh, God. Uh, oh, my gosh. He also he has look- a look in his eye. Yeah. A different look. I I think they were all murdered and it was him. <laughs> well, um, no. Because he, he doesn't complete this hike. He looks he like runs away after a mad him. scientist. He really does. He was a 22-year-old engineering and economics student in his fourth year at UPI. He had... Uh, he had me completed several hikes over the years, including also many threes. Um, so he's the one. I know we, we start with ten, but only nine are like the true victims of this hike. Um, Yuri had to uh leave the hike before they actually like went on their expedition. Um, he suffered sciatica, which if you don't know is a nerve condition that causes severe pain. Symptoms are described as tingling, numbness, and weakness. Um, Also pain that will start the lower back and travel down the large sciatic nerve in both back legs. Um, We'll go over, like, when he had to withdraw, but pretty much that was the reasoning. He just, he couldn't go on and didn't want to slow down the group with his pain. Um, It seems awfully convenient. He does provide insight to the group's personalities and dynamics um, in the, during the investigation afterward, and his ob- observations and involvement are very helpful and invaluable. Sure. Um, okay, I guess I've guys, never actually down. seen pictures of them before because I'm adjusting my theory just okay. based on this picture. <laughs> down you didn't him. do it we like him jesus maybe he's, he's great he looked like he might kill you he looked at the photographer said look like a murderer and he was like okay i've been practicing this for years it looks like he's trying to do blue steel but got way too but he has angry. crazy eye he looks like behind the photographer his girlfriend is flirting with somebody else <laughs> But then the other picture of him, like the candid, looks totally different. Yeah, he looks real cute. Well, I that would one. trust that guy. I wouldn't um, trust professional. This reminds me. So I don't think I told you guys. So I had to get my um, like passport renewed, and because did you do that face? No, but like I got my <laughs> and fly. I was like, yeah, they won't let you cross the border. <laughs> well, I was like, oh, I'll like half smile because you can like smile with your mouth open or mouth closed mm-hmm. and i was like i'll make it look like i'm sort of friendly and i got the photo and was like okay still a flight risk cool <laughs> um yeah so don't fly with me it's i won't get held up in security for sure i don't want the yearbook that that photo is in i feel like it it looks like it's one of those things where in like 10 years after you graduate from high school, you're looking back through your yearbook and you're like, oh, I wonder what he's up to. And so you Google him and he's like, he's in jail for murdering three people. But also like if you're like really into like the bad boy and like, I don't know, that could be attractive. That's 
No, that's not bad. That's I'm gonna murder you and then maybe eat you. That's pretty yeah, bad though. People are really into that, okay? But not like it, like it. Not, uh, yeah. Remember I, how I weird guess. people get about Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. <sighs> anyway, um, next slide, please. We're going to Nikolai Thab Thabo Brinol Brinol. Yeah, he did great. We're gonna call him Nikolai. <laughs> He's the one. He has two last names. This is stu. I sorry. I I can't get over his last names. Anyway, um, sorry. Don't you have two last names? Yeah, but mine are like at least the first one is like easy to pronounce. Actually, no, it's the second one. That's like I was gonna say. Sorry, no, it's not <laughs> of the two. Anyway, he looks like a goofball. Is he a goofball? No. Oh, never mind. He was described as cheerful, but, um, no. Um, so he was a 23-year-old UPI graduate with a class, um, of the class of 1958 with a degree in civil engineering. He was working as an engineering foreman in construction. Um, a little bit of his last name. So his father was French and his mother was Russian, which explains why I had so much trouble with it. Um, his father was actually accused of being active in the Revolutionary Party and was convicted of crimes against the state. So his father was sentenced to 10 years hard labor working in the mines. When he passed, uh, Nikolai was only nine years old. And I assume barely saw his father because the the camps that he was, his father was sentenced to. Um... Nikolai was described as cheerful, reliable, and self-confident. He completed several Category 3s, and he was also really generous. He would often transfer items to his own backpack to alleviate his friends in need. Um, So, I think he was just a very nice guy. Not so, like, funny or anything, but... But it's just the one photo he looks like he's being silly. Yeah, he's, like, laying down on his backpack. Yeah. Um, next, we are going to go to our last hiker, um, who is also the oldest member I was going to say, he looks like he's 40. He looks like the professor accompanying the group of college students. He's close. Um, yeah, this he's is, definitely taking them on the class trip. This is Simon Zolotaryevov. Um, or Simon, or I saw somewhere that he liked being called Sasha. He was the oldest member at 37 years old. He was a World War II soldier and veteran. He served from 1941 to 1946, earning four combat awards. Side note here, by the end of the war, 97% uh, of the Russian males born in 1921 served perished as casualties of the war simon here was of the three percent who survived you said 97 percent who served died oh my god real quick question that were born in 1921 so in his age group still that still Um, feels like a lot everybody the war that you're talking about is world war ii you said yes were we on the same team as russia do you, do you not know that answer? No, I, I feel like we were not. No, so what happened was, um, if we're going back in World War II, so Russia originally was on the side of, they made a deal with Hitler. 
Um, and Hitler's downfall was he went against that deal or the that agreement and started attacking Western Russia, which is not a good plan because he could not get supplies to his troops, um, and the climate was very like unforgiving. You so know that a was... lot about this. I did not expect that. Me? Oh, I yeah. Um, so once Hitler declared war on Russia, Russia was kind of like, fuck you, and they did, um, attack, so we came at Hitler from, like, the left, the, the western side, Russia was attacking from the east, and we kind of met in Berlin, so after the world war and, um, Hitler died and the Nazis crumbled, that was when Berlin got, um, separated, and the Berlin Wall went up. Um, so there was a Russian side and there was an American side or a, um, I think it was, like, also, like, England and, like, the Allies. Um, so, no, we weren't, like, initially allies with Russia. We kind of, like, the, it was kind of, like, an enemy of your enemy is, like, your friend, um, scenario for the taking down Hitler, but then we quickly became enemies with Russia because once we separated Berlin, we were fighting over that land because Russia wanted to just pretty much move in and conquer Germany like that. Um, and then the Cold War began to happen because that's when nuclear the nuclear arms race started um, ramping up and there was all this like espionage and hidden things going on between the United States and Russia without any like actual battle between us. Um, you can also, like, go into, the, like, the Cuban Missile Crisis when, like, Russia was, like, moving, like, nuclear arms down there just to be kind of close to us, and that's when JFK had, um... Yeah, like, we don't need to go into okay, that. Right. We could talk about this for hours. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I mean, you know I like history, and World War II is fascinating, and... Well, I was going to say, World War II is history. No, World War II is, is... There's a lot of moving parts. Um, so in short... No, we weren't really against each other until the end, but we it was that situation of like an enemy of my enemy is yeah. Um anyway, so after the war, Simon joined the Moscow School of Military Engineers, but quit during uh quit or he had to quit uh due to forced re reductions of class size. So then he went to the Leningrad Military Engineering School, but again, there were cutbacks in class size, and he got cut. Then he attended the Minsk Institute of Physical Education and graduated in 1951. He was working as an athletic and hiking instructor in the mid-50s. Um, when he joined this hiking group, he was the top candidate for an instructor position at UPI. Completing this difficulty of a, this difficult hike would improve his credentials and improve his chances for the position. Um, it was actually said that UPI's administration had contacted Igor and requested that um, Simon join them. So it wasn't like he um, was like sought out for this or anything. They pretty much were like, hey, Igor, this guy's going to join your hike. Um, this was initially strange for the other team members, specifically because they had the rest of the hikers, they knew each other, they were all part of the hiking club, mm -hmm. um, 
they were friends, they had all gone on previous hikes together, um, and during these hikes, it's important to know that everyone has to pull their own weight. Um, there's no room for error, um, there needs to be a comfortability and trust in a group, so when this outsider was coming in, it's a little uncomfortable, um, but Simon quickly started making friends with the others. He particularly got close to Nikolai, Nikolai um, after group meetings and some social get-togethers for, like, planning and stuff. Um, one of the theories that they, like, often talk about is, like, oh, this last-minute edition of, like, this World War II veteran is weird. Like, what is this? Um, but he was just doing it to get a job. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So now that we have all of our hike hikers, we're going to go into the hike. So in uh, November 1958, Igor had submitted... Uh, that's some of the group. Aren't they cute? Um, Igor submitted a request through the UPI hiking. Don't go too far, Drew. He had submitted a request through the UPI Hiking Club to lead and manage a Category 3 winter hike. This would take place during winter break, which was scheduled from mid-January to mid-February. Winter hikes entailed the hikers to use skis, carry all equipment and backpacks, and the hike would be during uh, when the weather was the most difficult. Um, his hike was approved, and he immediately started getting his group together. He also submitted an equipment request and a route in information to UPI. Some of what he requested was the tent, the portable stove, and a portable two-way radio. They approved each but the radio, reasoning since the hike was the highest difficulty, the luxury of radios would not fit in the challenges of surviving in the wilderness, carrying only the bare essentials. Um, I mentioned that just because, like, if they had a radio... Maybe none of this could have happened. Maybe they could have, like, sounded off that they were in trouble or something. Um, UPI also provided skis, poles, tools, coats, and other equipment deemed necessary. Um, it's important to also note, because it'll come back to us later, that no extra skis or ski poles were given. So if a hiker lost or broke theirs, you're on your own. Mm. Um, in the area where they were going and kind of just in Russia in general the snow is often up to like 10 feet deep skiing allows a hiker to move forward without uh, while walking without skis is nearly impossible because you're sinking um, the team would also be up against the temperature which we'll go over and I'll mention um, obviously the deep snow and really high winds so, so that's half hike. The itinerary was they were going to go through the Ural Mountains, covering about 200 miles in 16 days, going in like a circular motion. The Urals area is a north-south mountain, north-to-south mountain range that divides western Russia from Serbia. These mountains were gentle and rounded, um, and their barren slopes rising from a vast forest. This would take them through the wilderness, valleys, and up to Mount Ortorten and Mount Howard. That was rude. Hold on. Howard Shorten. Sound like um, an accent there when you said that. Yeah. 
It's because you need to. Um, <laughs> and this would bring them back to one of the villages that they started. And their plan was to telegram um, to UPI that they co- they completed their um, hike and they whatever. Um, so that was their plan. However, that telegram would never come. Ooh, insert mm. sinister music. I'll see if I can find some. Thanks. Thank you. Um, okay, so... <laughs> I heard it. Um, so we're going to go through the days leading up to when... For what we know, for their timeline, okay? Okay. So, January 23rd is where we start. Um, That's mom's when, birthday. It is... It was your mom's. When was she, was she born in nineteen fifty nine? She was. Oh, good. She was born when they took off. Cool. Um, what was your question, Lacey? I didn't know that it was your mom's birthday, so I missed it. So now I have to text her late. She oh, that's okay. Her. She's celebrated by slipping on ice and spraining her wrist and finger. What a cry for attention, Jan. Jan. This isn't the first time she slept on ice in a parking lot either. So just, just saying. Um, anyway, January 23rd, 1959, the Dyatlov group, along with another UPI hiking group, took a train to the city of Sirov. I'm just going to butcher all of these Russian words. It's going to be great. Um, so they got there the following day around dawn. The next, their next train wouldn't have been departing, wouldn't have been departing until the evening of January 24th. I like um, the way that you said it the first time. How did I say it? Yeah. Um, I was hoping that you wouldn't realize that. I just anyway. like that you emphasize the T. Mm. You know, it's a letter that's commonly, like, forgotten about, and I really want to It's overlooked just... constantly. It but really it's, is. Like, one of the best letters it it's so versatile too there 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 are so few i was going to say there are so few words you can spell without a t but that's not true you just said two words that you can spell without a t anyway that's not true all have t's exhibit a exhibit also has a t <laughs> Keep going. I'll keep pointing out all the letters with or the, all the words with T's in them. So their next train was going to be departing there. January 24th in the evening at 6.30 p.m. So during this time, they were hoping to, like, relax and bunk uh, in the train station at uh, Sirov, um, but it wasn't open and they weren't allowed to sleep there. So they were kind of bored um, and both of the groups took to town and george started singing and waving his hat around he was jokingly begging strangers for candy um again he was known as the comic relief so he was just trying to like soothe the boredom and like be funny uh but police arrived and they took um they arrested him they also told what are you doing the letter T is the most commonly used consonant in the English alphabet. You're welcome. 
you know, sometimes I wonder where our, like, how, whatever. Anyway, I wasn't, I never said it wasn't anyway. No, I just feel like our listeners would want to know. I'm pretty (laughs) sure most of them have Google. Yeah, but would they want to Google in the middle of listening? I don't know if they care. I do. Okay. Anyway. So George started singing. He was making a commotion. The police arrived and told them that this was a good communist town um, and there was no crime here and certainly no disturbances of peace. So George was arrested and taken away. Now, anyone that has ever been arrested, you could spend days in prison um, just because you pissed some people off. Um, and that's especially true in communist Russia. Um, so it was very lucky that he only spent a few hours in the police mm-hmm. station, um, uh, because otherwise they would have been down a man and it would have fucked up the entire hike. Um, he had to promise that he would not be disruptive to the town again, and he agreed. Then that night, they, uh, both groups caught the train and arrived in their next stop around midnight, which I forgot how to pronounce, so I'm not going to say it. Um, It's not important. The team spread out in the train station and were able to sleep there for the night. The next day, January 25th, the two hiking groups boards a bus to the village of VK. They arrived around 2 p.m. There they spent the night in a hotel, um, and this is the place where the groups divide. I mentioned that they had this interaction with the other group from UPI, Um, because this group was, they turn out to be good witnesses for the investigation, too. They were a group made up of 10 students. They were also going through the Ural Mountains, but for 25 days. Um, and even though their hikes were running parallel to each other, they were separated by several miles. Um, we'll go back to what they, like, what information they were able to provide during the inventory investigation um further down the line but just know that we have them too as their eyewitnesses um the 26th the dial-off group leaves v uh that vj um riding in the back of an open truck that was that um photo that you saw if you go back drew um, three hours later, they arrive in a lot lodging settlement called the 41st Quarter. The lodging men were hospitable and good company. The group sang songs. Uh, Russian played a mandolin, and many of them watched movies that night. The next day, the 27th, they left the lodging town and he- headed to an old, unabandoned mining camp called the Second North. One of the lodgers had offered um, a horse, horse sleigh to transport their packs to kind of lighten their load, um, and they ended up leaving the lodging town around 4 p.m. When they arrived to Second North, this is where Yuri Yudin had decided that he couldn't go on any further. Um, so, him. Sciatica. Um, Second North was an abandoned mining camp consisting of 20, uh, 24 houses in various states of despair disrepair or despair um 
And this trek from 41st to the 2nd North was 15 miles, and they finally made it to 2nd North around 11 p.m. at night. On the 28th, after getting breakfast, um, Yuri Yudin, Yuri Doroshenko, and Alexander went to collect rock and mineral samples. Um, after this, Yuri was departed, uh, preparing to depart. These are photos of Zina and Luda saying goodbye to Yuri. Um, he also had a conversation with Igor before he left, and he had mentioned to Igor that he had noticed that one of the he, Igor had a conversation with one of the lodgers, um, letting them know that they may need a few extra days to complete the hike. This pushed their arrival date back to the 14th of February instead of the 12th. Before Yuri left, he gave the group some of his socks and mittens and a sleeveless vest to Alexander. Um, Yuri and the sleigh driver left around 10 a.m. The group packed and prepared for their hike and left 2nd North around 11.45. The reason we have such, like, this time frame and everything after Yuri and all the other witnesses leave is through diaries and... We have photos, obviously, because these are photos that they took. Um, but we have a lot of diaries that give us these time frames. Um, the group stopped at 4 p.m. for a lunch break and then continued on until 5.30. Um, they, um, going back to the diaries, the hikers kept a group diary as well as personal ones. And the group diaries um, would trade from like person to person. Each evening, after chores and dinner, someone would write in the diary about the day's details. Um, I also want to touch base on um, the Mensi, which are um, kind of like an indigenous people to this area where they were going through. Um, the Dyatlov group used their trails for hiking. Um so they woke him up, and they also helped um, during the search for them later on. The Mensi are nomadic natives who live in the Ural Mountains. They are peaceful people who fish, hunt, and gather. Being nomadic, they move with the seasons and the availability of food. Um, many hiking groups had interacted with them in the past, and the Mensi have offered them food, shelter, and other necessities to help. Um, the first I also want to mention... The first mountain that the group is going to encounter is Ortorten, which means do not go there in Mensi. Hmm. Uh, there's also the other um, mountain that they encounter, which let me find my phonetics. Hoachotten, I think is how you say it, um, which and Mensi means dead mountain. Oh, so do not go there, followed by dead mountain. Yeah. If only there were signs. Well, so here's the thing that a lot of people get held up on on these names is it's not like these places were, like, evil or haunted. It's in Mensi. It just means as warnings for them that they're not good hunting grounds. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of, like, wildlife there, so... I mean, could you say, like, oh, it's kind of haunted or creepy or, like, superstitious? Sure, but also, like, to the Mensi, they were labeling these things because they weren't valuable to them. Feels sinister. It's not like how 
Native Americans would name like an area because they believed that the spirits were. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I'm not mensy, but it doesn't seem like that. It was just described that they weren't good areas for survival gotcha. and what they needed. Um, so don't go there, mountain, because there's nothing. There's literally no reason to go there. Not like because you'll die if you go there. And like dead mountain because you'll nothing die because is living there's there. nothing there. Yeah, yeah. So along those lines. Okay. Um, so the next day, January 29th, they followed a Mensi ski trail and noted the signs that were carved into trees. Um, how they worked through the snow was the men in the party took turns leading the group, breaking the trail to make it easy for, ever, for others. They took turns um, about 10 minutes each um, going up and breaking through the snow and setting that trail for skis. Um, and every 70 minutes after each man had a turn, the group would rest. The 29th was also Yuri Dorosenko's 21st birthday. His last one, too. Oh. Looking at the pictures, whenever you know there's, like, some kind of a tragedy coming, um, looking at the pictures of right before, like, especially, like, that truck picture, it always makes me feel weird. Because, like, they look so happy and they look so excited. And, like, they don't know what's coming and you almost feel like you should be able to warn them. I had the same um, thought, like, while I was getting the photos together and doing the PowerPoint, just, like, they all looked, because there's so many of them that were there, they're clearly, like, goofing around and having fun. Yeah. And they're, and they're so just, young. It's just they're off on a little adventure. Yeah. Um, so, January 30th, they set out around 9.30 a.m. They followed a deal deer trail that soon ended so they broke a trail through four feet deep snow and they noticed that the trees were thinning and um they were ascending above the tree line so it also mentioned in the diaries that they could like feel the altitude change so they were going up yeah um they broke for lunch around two um then continued on until five before stopping for the night Zena mentioned in her diary um, on this day that they were going to build a storage site soon. This uh, storage site would be a place for the group to leave extra gear to lighten their loads um, for the summit of the mountain. Um, they would stash extra things to keep a few days' worth of supplies with them. After the summit, they would return to the storage site to collect items. If you remember that um, this kind of makes sense because their route was going to be like a circle. So they would have to come back. Um, The 30th of January is also the last entry in both uh, Xena and another diary to kind of give a time frame. Um, The next day, the 31st, the only thing I have is it's the last entry of the group diary, which we'll go over um, eventually. February 1st, um, since there are no other diary entries, the assumption is that something happened after they had set up the tent this day. Based on their routine, they would hike during the day, then stop for dinner, do their chores, get the tent set up, eat. Then you would record what you did during the day in the diaries. Um, So it seems like something broke up their routine there. Um, on the 12th of February, 
at UPI. No one was concerned about not receiving a telegram from the group. Remember, this was their expected day to come or telegram. Um, because your Yudin had warned the university of him and Igor's last conversation that they might be held up or they might be longer. So no one really batted an eye at, U at UPI. February 17th. Luda and Alexander's families were worried and called UPI's administrators. The families were assured that the group was fine and delayed due to weather. February 20th, now eight days behind their expe expected date that they were supposed to telegram, an emergency meeting was held between the city committee and UPI administration. It was decided to immediately launch a search party for the missing group. Um, the search party consisted of UPI students, instructors, and experienced winter outdoorsmen. Um, back then, there was no formal organized search groups, um, so searcher searches consisted of whoever was available and wanted to help. Businesses and nearby universities donated money and supplies to supplement the search. The next day, February 21st, a plane carrying volunteers and supplies circled the area um, of the group route to help spot any missing hikers or any type of SOS. Nothing was seen. The 22nd, another search flight was launched. Again, nothing was seen. They um, now added in local search dogs, two-way radios, professional forest rangers, and even some Mency trackers joined the search. On the 23rd 3rd of February, they... Um, revitalized their plan. This time, a helicopter dropped off searchers and supplies in various locations of the route um, to kind of search on foot or see if there's, like, any evidence down there. For two more days, the teams followed several trails and found no signs of the missing group until the 26th of February. In the late afternoon, one of the search teams had found their campsite. What, and that what is where we're was? gonna stop now. Oh no! No. <laughs> um, okay. What, what was your question, Lacey? Um. What What day did you say was it? They found the campsite. February twenty sixth. Twenty sixth. So a whole month. After yeah. That, basically. Yeah. Also, so they were they were due to originally their plan was to send a telegram on the um twelfth of February. They pushed that back after, like, hearing from Yuri saying that they might be delayed to the 14th. Um, and they really didn't take action until, I think, the 20th was when they had the emergency meeting. Yeah. But, I mean, you said, I don't, because I've heard of this case before, I've listened to it, but I don't remember the timeline. But you did say that, like, January 30th was the last day that they wrote in their journal yeah. or the first day that they didn't. So I feel like even if they had been on the ball looking for them, like the day that they went missing, I think, I feel like I'm assuming it would have been too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, real yeah. quick. Yes. I just want to correct something that I said earlier. Mother was not born in 1959. She's going to send me an angry text. If I age her by a year. Mother? Yes, mother. Mm. She was born in 1960. 
Dad was born in 1959. I'm going to get a text in the middle of her listening to this episode saying, That's not my birthday. She's also going to be in the middle listening and be like, Oh, that's why Lacey texted me happy birthday a couple days late. <gasps> mm-hmm. That bitch. That's what um, she's So, based on how much we covered, because I kind of... I wanted to leave you guys on a cliffhanger for purposely. Yeah, thank um, you I do think that this is going to be a three-parter. <laughs> okay. Well, it's to celebrate our anniversary. There's we deserve just, it. Um, we deserve there's just so much information, and I didn't want to get into, like, what they found in the tent and everything, and then have us, like, forget it between recordings. So we're just mm-hmm. going to go over all of the evidence, all of the autopsies and stuff, the bulk of it um, next time. And then, yeah, probably be all theories for the third one. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks for the intro. Right. For yeah. The well, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. <laughs>